We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. We're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing my fear. It's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. It's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. It's just really sad, we gotta do better. I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard, like to just keep watching it. That video, if, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You need to be American and outraged. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Big T. Will. I got my man on the other end of our social distancing, uh, Nat Marlowe. What's going on, Nat? My brother, what's up? Hey, man, listen. Listen, well, right now, we um, are in a, a situation again with another unarmed black male being shot. And now he's been shot in front of his children in the car. And the raw emotion that we just heard from Doc Rivers is real. And people do not understand what we say as black people when we say black lives matter. And you tell me all lives matter. And then there's a guy walking around Wisconsin with a gun shooting people. And they walk up to him and arrest him. But they don't shoot him down. Equality can't wait. We need change today. Okay? We need change today. This is driving a wedge through the American people. Between your black friends and your white friends or your white friends and white friends or your black friends and white friends. You're putting us in a position to choose a side when we're all supposed to be one nation. And it's sad. And the emotion that Doc Rivers just poured off was real. It was heartfelt. And it's something that some of you guys will never understand what our ancestors went through. What the people have been through through years of being beaten, raped, thrown into jail. 
for no reason. Shot why these people are getting off today in 2020. You can tell me all you want, you understand, but you don't. Because like Doc Rivers says, you're not talking to your child to tell them how safe to be when they get pulled over by a police officer. Wake up. Wake up. Matt, got anything? Yeah, all I all I really have to say, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole Doc Rivers speech. Uh, reading the quotes is, is just I, I'm never going to understand that. And uh, I, I'm never going to be in a situation like that. I, I, I never know. I'm never going to know what that will be like. And for lack of better words, it's freaking scary that we still treat people like this in our country and say what you want about it. But the reality of the situation is a lot of it is because of the color of people's skin. That's the reality of the situation. And we're 20 years into the 21st century and we still haven't figured this out yet. And there's a lot of problems in this country. And unfortunately, you know, the way we treat our black citizens is one of them. And we don't treat them like the American citizens that the way they should be treated. You know what I mean? Like, we don't treat them like American citizens. And it's a fucking problem. It, it, it's a real travesty what's going on in our country. I, I don't care, like, what your political views are. Like, if you don't believe that this is a major problem on top of the other problems going on right now, then you are blind. It's still a problem. It's still occurring. <laughs> and we still haven't solved it yet. Everything's been pushed to the side for political reasons and political differences. And the only thing that is going to make a change happen or start is to continue to let your voice be heard. Demand your local politicians to make a change. Vote them out if they don't and hold them all accountable for their actions. So when we go on break, Nat's going to listen to the whole thing again in the beginning of the show because he was running around and couldn't, and he only heard bits and pieces and saw the quote. So that's why he said he didn't hear it all yet. But Nat, you're going to hear it and I'll tell you right now, the emotion and the passion you have right now, you'll feel it even more once you replay that again. But and you know what? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. For those of us who haven't had a chance to listen to the whole thing, why don't I throw it into our first break? That way we all get a chance to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, we'll play. We'll play a piece of it again. Definitely. I, I agree. We definitely will play a piece of it again. Um, but, you know, let's let let's get 
into some other business, but that business is number one business and it will always be number one business. Okay. Um, so I feel like I, I got to start the show over again when I say, welcome everybody. You know, I'm glad you could join us. Um, there's so much going on right now within the last 48 hours. And there's so much that we have to get into. So we're just going to jump right into it. First things first. Everyone, you know how we do. Grab your drink. Take a sip. Brett Brown is out of here. Seven years. Seven years we had to deal with this guy for seven seasons. 221 and 344. The last three and a half years, Brett Brown would not make a change. He wouldn't switch up his style. He wouldn't switch up his rotation. And as a fan, I feel like he left me flat. I understand the business and politics of this. I'm 100% on board with Brett Brown that had to go. Brett Brown was a a gentleman. He treated everyone with the utmost respect when you met him. And he spoke well in front of the media and represented the Sixers well. I am a Brett Brown killer. But I'm also a person who keeps it 100. So... I will give Brett Brown his due for the things he did. He did develop in the beginning, and we saw glimpses of what he what we thought we were going to have, but it just never came to fruition. So, you know, I wish Brett Brown nothing but success and love. And, you know, I always, no matter how I felt towards him, whenever he spoke, I felt like I got right back behind him hoping that he would fulfill what he initially came here to do. And he didn't do that. So therefore, you know, it had to be, it had to be done. Nat, um, let me ask you a question. What's your feeling on uh, Brett Brown and, and how things went down after the sweep by the uh, Boston Celtics? Well, what needed to get done got done from a business management point on how to handle a situation gone awry. Brett Brown did not coach this team well this season. I mean, seven years is a long time for any coach in any league. How many coaches stick around that long? Like, very, very few. It's a short amount of time, but it's forever in sports. And I think Brett Brown was terrific at developing players, developing you know, young people to get them to fill roles, but only for struggling teams. Brett Brown is a terrific coach for developing teams, not ones that are already developed. So in hindsight, and hindsight is 2020, obviously, I think after that Kawhi shot, I thought that was the time not necessarily pull the trigger to fire Brett Brown, but maybe bring in an additional voice in there, maybe bring in an additional assistant coach to help guide 
the roster for what it was supposed to be to, to win the NBA title. Well, and I, I think they did that with uh, Ime Duku. So I'm not sure if uh, Brett Brown was actually listening to his assistant or not. See, because that's what I always say about Brett Brown. He's hard-headed. He's just a, he was just a stubborn coach. And throughout the show, we're going to play clips. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about some problems that all of a sudden arose after Brett Brown's uh, dis- dismissal. So, Boston Celtics, Nat, 4-0 sweep. I have no issue with Joel Embiid on how he stood out. I have a major issue with Tobias Harris. Grant, thank you very much for returning to the game after you had your head knocked into the next week. You really didn't have to. Um, it was a hustle play. You got tripped up. But as a fan, I appreciated that, that you wanted to come out and be out there with your teammates. But throughout the season and the money you're getting, you have underperformed your contract in the worst way. But I don't blame you for taking the money. I give some of that blame to the GM for giving you that money. I give some of the blame to the front office for allowing that to happen. And this front office is in shambles as well. Okay? Alex Rucker coming over with his analytics from Toronto has been an epic failure here in Philadelphia with Brett Brown leaning so much on analytics with the pace, the timeouts, the rotations, it's cost him his job instead of doing what he knows he could have did. And that's coach. If you know you're a coach, coach, analytics is ruining the game to begin with. So if you put that much stock on analytics over your job and over the knowledge that you have, being in the league for so long, then you deserve to go. And you want to hear something crazy? Yeah, go ahead. Supposedly, Brett Brown outperformed what he was supposed to do from an analytical standpoint. I believe it. I believe it. Does that not prove how effed up analytics can be sometimes? It proves a lot. It proves the, the fact that analytics is a bunch of BS. It only works to a degree. It's not there for the whole entire cycle of the season and the entire the duration of a game. It's a tool. It's just an added tool to give you another another thing to lean on, another, another piece of the puzzle. And that's a lot of the problems a lot of teams face. They make analytics the thing as opposed to a tool. They make it the strategy as opposed to a part of the strategy. It's supposed to be part of the strategy. It's not supposed to be the entire toolbox. It's supposed to be a piece of the toolbox that you can dig in and look at to help you out in situations at hand that come up at hand. So, I mean, you, I don't give Brett Brown 100% of this because of the front office, but, damn it, I give you at least 80, 90. You the coach, man. Everything falls on you. You didn't take the fall. You earned that fall. What was the one thing Brett Brown did not do enough of? Adjust. Correct. He was the worst at adjusting. I really uh, I really think Brett Brown is going to coach again in the NBA. 
And I think he learned from his mistakes here the last his mistakes the last three years. I don't really hold the the process the last the first four years of the process to him. Because as he said, he was coaching revolving doors. But those players of the process, if you they won eighteen, ten, and eighteen this first three seasons, they play hard and they didn't turn a ball over as much as these overpaid players. I'll tell you that much. As much of it was bad basketball, at least it wasn't uh, for winning percentage-wise, it wasn't that bad. Brett Brown, I think he will find another job in the NBA. I think he might land on Indiana with them firing uh, Nate McMillan. And I told you on the last podcast that we did that don't be surprised if that happened. And I I would have interest in Nate coaching the Sixers because of his style. Styles match up eat better, and he would and he would use Ben and Joe differently, and it'd be a different format. And that's another thing. I'm getting ahead of myself, but Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, y'all got a rude awakening ahead of you. You better grow up now in these next four months, because December's around the corner. So this coaching carousel is only going to be a week, a week to ten days. Do you think they can handle the heat? that Philadelphia fans are going to give them over the next year. I'm not fully convinced they are. They have no choice. You want to sit up there and say you want to be here and finish your career here, well, you better handle the heat that we're going to bring to you. You have no choice. That's what you signed up for. That's what you're getting paid for. Period. You have you have no, no say on how to handle the heat that you're about to receive from the fans. Because you wasted the opportunity to keep the fans off of you. If you would have came in shape in October and not complaining about what the front office did because you were in your feelings about how people got traded and didn't get re-signed here in Philadelphia, you wouldn't be in this situation. If you would take things a little bit serious – and stick to your diet and training and work hard and not be lazy in practice, you wouldn't be in this situation. If you take them damn flip-flops off and put some sneaks and socks on in practice and practice hard and go at each other, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in right now. Period. Y'all going to have to grow up. Ben and Joe is going to have to grow up. And they're going to have a rude awakening with the next head coach coming in. Rude awakening. So, hey, listen. I'm Big T. Will. That's Nat Marlowe. This is Philly Full Court Press. We got a jam-packed show. So we're going to jump into it on the other side after these commercial breaks. What's up, everybody? It's Carmelo Anthony. Hope everyone is staying healthy. During this time, you know, we should all be looking out for one another and staying calm and staying safe. I'm just trying to stay positive as much as possible. Continue to spend this great time with your loved ones. I think it gives us a lot of perspective. Call some of your friends or your family and let them know how much you, you love them and how much you care about them. Practice compassion. We have to be kind and really practice a sense of community. 
We're going to get through this thing one way or another. And the appreciation level for everything will be at an all-time high. We all miss fans and our teammates and basketball. This is only a virus that we can beat together. Uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you guys soon and back on the floor. Say see ya. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health. There are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Kawhi up top, looks at the clock, turns the corner for the win! When you see Joel just, just in tears, walking off the court, what goes through your mind? That, that it's going to be a life memory that, as painful as it feels now, it'll, it'll help him. It'll help shape his career. It'll help give him greater clarity of what this time of the year represents. Uh, the, all the stuff that, that has to accrue over many months that, that will equal the ability to one day be a champion. It's hard. It's hard to be the last man standing. And to, to see him uh, have the emotion that, that he has, and he's, he's one of many in that locker room, uh, it is painful for all of us. But to your question with Joel, he'll look in the rearview mirror and remember this. He will come out better and smarter and stronger and more um, aware of really what it takes to, uh, to play longer than we've been able to play. Bam, bam, bam. I need to grow a bomber. And, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, I think the group incrementally, as I said at the, uh, in the beginning before we played, has, has slowly come together. And, uh, I think our starting group uh, is, is as talented as any in the NBA. Uh, I need to grow a bomber. I'm such a fan of Mike Scott and his toughness, et cetera. I need to grow a bomber. Um, but I think moving forward, you know, you try to hold on to as much of it as you can, and it's not my area. Elton will be great at this. I need to grow a bomber. Simply put, we failed. Uh, we failed and it's not acceptable. It didn't uh, produce the results that we, we expected. It's a results-based business. We're trying to right those wrongs and make sure we do better. I'll also be conducting an evaluation of the front office and that infrastructure and ways to strengthen that. Do the same thing with the roster. 
Again, change can and will be uncomfortable, but it's necessary. We owe it. I owe it to these fans. I owe it to this city. I'm not looking to trade Ben or Joel. I'm looking to compliment them better. They're 24, 26 years old, respectively. You try to make that fit as, as long as you can. I need to grow a bomber. most to blame now for this 2-0 hole and Gordon Hayward didn't play last night? Well, I've said Brett Brown, and I'll continue to say that. I'll leave ownership and management to Max because obviously Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick are not there. Uh, Tobias Harris hasn't stepped up, went stole cold yesterday. Al Horford looks done half the time. We get all of that. Great, great guy. I take take no pleasure in saying that because I love Al Horford. He just seems... Uh, Danny Ainge has pulled it off again, Max. He seems to have known when to let go and to move on. We got to look at these executives in in Boston and and say something about that. Bill Belichick and Danny Ainge really, really seem to know what the hell they're doing, particularly ahead of everybody else. But the reason why I point the figure at Brett Brown, let's be very, very clear about this. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to put this in its proper perspective. And, And please put me on a split screen so I can see Max and Molly when I say this, because I want to use y'all to take to give an indication of what America is feeling right now. The Philadelphia 76ers were up 25 to 11 in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. In the third quarter, something like that, the score was 80 to 44 in favor of Boston. That is a 69 to 19 run. The Philadelphia 76ers got outscored by 50. Welcome back. Big T, Will, Nat Marlowe, Philly Four Court Press. Coming off of what my man Stephen A. Smith just said. Yeah, they got outscored by 50. It's a travesty. These are reasons why Brett Brown is no longer here, and we got to say bye, bye, bye to him. All right? These are the reasons why all his soft talk that we come accustomed to had to be broken. I feel like the fans of Philadelphia was under a spell and some of the local media was under a spell because Brett Brown was such a good talker. As I keep saying, that Kool-Aid juice box is sweet. And the more you keep thirsting for it, the more they're going to give you. And it was writing on the wall. I I usually don't condone a fire. I don't want to see anyone lose their their job. But it was time for him to go. He had to go. The team stopped responding. Especially when you come out in the second half and you get beat by 50 points on a swing like that. Especially how the way he coached and told his own players they were out of the rotation. But for some odd reason, some of them kept finding their way right back in it. Nat, I don't get it, Nat. Here's the way I look at it, and you might be very surprised when I say this, and uh, when, when I say what I say, you might be very surprised by what I say. A firing 
is beneficial to all parties involved. And let me explain myself when I say that. So I worked a job in 2015 through 2016. It was a college job, and it sucked. I hated every minute of it. I didn't like my boss. My boss didn't like me. I wasn't putting in good work, and we had different ways of going about things. I wish I would have gotten fired from that job because on my last day there, like my official last day, I left and I felt free. Had I been fired, like probably initially it would have sucked because who wants to get fired? Like in Nobody no, wants it, to get fired. Exactly. No one does in the moment. But if I was fired, I would have moped about it for a day, got over it the next and said, I'm fucking free. I don't have to worry about my boss anymore. I don't have to worry about going to a job I hate every day anymore. I get to go out and be free and pursue what I actually want to do. In the Sixers situation, the Brett Brown firing is beneficial to all parties involved because now we no longer have to wonder when they're going to pull the trigger. Now we finally get to have a new voice in this organization And Brett Brown no longer has to feel the pressure of this city. If he wants to coach elsewhere in the NBA and start again, he has the power to do that. And if he wants to hang the tie up, if he wants to retire from coaching permanently, he has the power to do that. If he wants to go, hey, Nat, if he wants to go coach his son's little league team or. Due to AAU circuit, he has the opportunity. I get what you're saying. I actually agree with you. I don't, I, as you thought, I probably wouldn't, but I, I agree. It was best for both parties because it was becoming deaf ears. And I, me personally, I couldn't take any more of listening to Brett Brown talk about the spirit of the city and the fighters that the team have and the, the locker room spirit. I, I was done with it. If it fell on deaf ears to me, I know it fell on deaf ears to them, and there was no response by the team. But you got swept by the Boston Celtics, and that in the first round, right? Like like my man said, the writing was on the wall, definitely on the wall. But I see a parallel, Nat. I see something that I don't know. I could be looking too deep into it. I may not be looking deep into it. Right. Well, yo, T, you're talking about this parallel, but what what exactly is this parallel you're thinking about? Well, the parallel I'm thinking about is with Hakeem Olajuwon. When um, he was with the Rockets, they had similar struggles with the team around him, and he got real frustrated and was ready to hang it up, wanted to be traded. And Kenny Smith uh, went to Dream and was like, you know, stick with it. It's going to work around. It's going to turn around. It's going to work itself out. And Akeem had a talk with management. And within the, the two years after the struggles that Hakeem went through, they won a title. They won his first of, of two titles. And he became this dominant player that was probably the best in the league for that period of time and if mb copies his game after him so much i hope mb knows the history because the frustration with mb with his hands in his head 
not really throwing his players under the 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 bus, and then you know not really backing his coach either from what's going on, saying I'm going to miss coach. He was my friend. Well, damn it, isn't the same thing I always say? That he's not there to be your friend. He's there to be your coach. These guys got to be held accountable for everything they do. And they weren't because of the culture that Brett Brown built around them. I say it on this show time and time again. If you allow them to do it, they're going to do it. You didn't break them from doing it in the beginning, and they kept doing it. Hence, this is what you got. So, like, I don't say all of it is your fault. But majority of it is. Because you the coach. You the coach. But that's the parallel situation that I'm seeing. The struggles with being good but not knowing how good and then having the type of team you have around you. So, well, we'll see. Sixers are getting a new voice. Sixers are going to have a new style of play. Hopefully the front office will look better. They stop meddling in the, uh, making decisions. Elton Brand said, uh, you know what, I'll let Elton Brand say. Hey, Nat, play that clip with Elton Brand. Simply put, we failed. Uh, we failed and it's not acceptable. It didn't uh, produce the results that we, we expected. It's- yeah, see? Elton Brand said he's going to make the decisions now. He wants more people in the front office with basketball minds. So we'll see. So Alan Brand saying that his, his strings is cut. I don't know. We're going to find out because we're in a mess of a situation. I do hold you accountable for them two bad contracts. We definitely going to find out how much you've grown and learned EB. Yeah, as much as we like to blame Tobias Harris and Al Horford, it was Elton Brand that hired him. You didn't have to bring him here. You didn't have to give Tobias Harris that max contract. You didn't have to give Horford that ridiculous deal. Every that deal was awful. And I was on multiple outlets, and I said, I like the sign. I like the sign of Al Horford because he was killing us. He was killing the Sixers. I just didn't like the contract or the money. That was mind-boggling. Still is right now as we sit here outside the NBA bubble. Well, it's going to be for how long? What, another six years? Between Total between Horford and Harris. But speaking of the NBA bubble, as we're doing this recording, Orlando Magic and the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to play the boycott today's game and good for them good for them yeah the owners is going to lose money tv is going to lose money so the owners is going to short them money but damn it this ain't about money this is about having equality and what's right and what's not so i stand with milwaukee and orlando i'll find something else to do tonight got to make a change people we got to make a change we got to love each other after the sporting events over we got to love each other after the holidays. It's going to take all parties, but they did the right thing. 
especially the Milwaukee Bucks. Damn proud. So Ellen Brand, get back on track. Ellen Brand uh, definitely is going to have to come through and shine over the next few weeks. Because like I said, you only have four months till December to the start of the season. So this is going to have to be a quick turnaround. As much as you want to cross your T's and dot your I's, you better do it quick to give these uh, to give this team enough time to, <laughs> to quote Brett Brown to gel. And that's another thing I'm not going to miss, Nat. I'm not going to miss hearing they got to come together and things is coming together by Christmas. Oh, my God. Brett Brown put that on us every season, the last three seasons. It's going to take time for the team to come together. Not with this talent. Not with this talent. You should be able to roll the ball out there and hoop and coach superstars and stars. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, 100%. If this is your first time with a new core, then yes, you might have to take some time to figure things out. But if you've had the same core for a while, you should know what your team is about by now. That team, I thought, was at its best. Those first five games of the season, and then even those three road losses that they had in the very beginning of the season. I thought that was the best the team looked. Those eight games right there. Because you knew what the team was going to give you. Bully ball. And you only had it those eight games. If that. Maybe let's say five games. The ones they actually won. And you didn't see any of that the rest of the year. And it's pitiful. It's disgusting. It is. It really is. That was our word last episode. Disgusting. I was very disgusted. I wanted I wanted them to get swept and them as the Sixers to leave Brett Brown in Orlando with his Mickey Mouse ears. And it happened. It happened. Don't go down there and prolong the inedible. I'm glad they went down there and didn't fake it. Come on back and let's get to work. Don't waste your time or mine. And that's how I felt. I felt like I was, we was on wasted time. But ain't that, man, I want to jump into what Charles Barkley had to say. Charles Barkley had some words. On the other side, coming out of the break, we're going to hear what uh, Chuck had to say, and we'll react to that. Hey, y'all, I'm your man, Big T. Will. That's my man, Nat Marlowe. This is Philly Full Court Press. We'll be back right after this. What's up, everybody? It's Carmelo Anthony. Hope everyone is staying healthy. During this time, you know, we should all be looking out for one another and staying calm and staying safe. I'm just trying to stay positive as much as possible. Until you spend this great time with your loved ones. I think it gives us a lot of perspective. Call some of your friends and your family and let them know how much you, you love them and how much you care about them. Practice compassion. We have to be kind and really practice a sense of community. We're going to get through this thing one way or another. And the appreciation level for everything will be at an all-time high. We all miss fans and our teammates and basketball. This is only a virus that we can beat together. Uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you guys soon and back on the floor. Say see ya! See ya! I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, We've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. 
Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health, there are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Two things, quotes, come out of it that shocks me today. When Josh Richens said, we have no accountability, we need more accountability, that stings a little bit if I'm on that team. But the one thing that Joel Embiid said that I, that I don't like at all, they, uh, he was quoted about, about Brett Brown. And Brett Brown's a great guy, we all know that. He says, no, well, I don't know what's gonna happen. I want him to know he's my friend. Hey, your coach ain't supposed to be your friend. He's supposed to be your coach. That's one of the reasons we got so many crappy parents out here. They want to be friends with their kids. My job ain't to be your friend. My job is to get you ready for the world. And they need yeah. accountability, and they're not getting it. They got three players who are making $30 million going forward for three more years. They got to ask themselves, are we going to be in the same boat next year? They haven't gotten better as a team. You know, we still don't know if Ben Simmons is going to shoot the ball. We keep saying the same thing every year. Yo, man, you got for, to be a great player, you got to shoot the ball. You ain't got to be Steph Curry, but you got to shoot the ball. And then you got to say, Joel, man, we need you to get in shape. The discrepancy between the first half and the second half, of his, it, it's all to me about conditioning. And those are questions they got to ask themselves, mm. plain and simple. All right, everybody, welcome back. Charles Barkley giving basically the same thing I was saying. These guys are going to have to be held accountable, Nat, don't you think? Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, why weren't they being held accountable before? Exactly. That falls on the head coach. That falls on Brett Brown. So they, they got some growing up to do. Definitely got some growing up to do. Um, you know, on the heels of Brett Brown being fired, you know, a lot of media, a lot of outlets had a lot of opinions. Hey, Nat, play those outlets and media for me real quick. There are going to be changes in Philadelphia. It remains to be seen you know, how dramatic those are. Uh, I, I believe that it's very likely that they begin with Brett Brown uh, and, and the, un, the unlikelihood that he will be back for his eighth season next year. I still think that if they're gonna make a change at head coach, I think they're um, I, I think they're likely to allow another coach to come in and and try to make that partnership work. They they are still young players. Mm. They still uh, you know the third postseason that they've had together. Simmons was out, didn't play obviously in this Boston series. You don't get value when you trade players. Uh, 
uh, of that ilk. And remember, these are both players under contract. They're not at risk of losing somebody in free agency. They're, they have rushed in Philadelphia times to try to speed this up uh, around Simmons and Embiid. Um, they've made trades and undone deals, and they traded for Jimmy Butler and then moved Butler on in a sign-and-trade to Miami. They don't have to keep um, making more significant, massive deals uh, because in the, in the end, you usually don't get the value back for those kinds of stars. I think you'll see them continue to try to build around Simmons and Embiid. Yeah, so Woj just threw out a name. Woj just threw out a name on the coach's cycle on the list that he doesn't even want to be on the list. But for some odd reason, after that interview he gave a few years ago and the Knicks were hot on Jay Wright and he shut it down, for some odd reason, the local media is trying to shut it down. Nat, how are they doing at the station? They trying to shut it down a little bit? No, no. Like, well, are they enhancing it? Like they're not, they're not really doing either. Like they're looking at it from the analytical point of view in the sense that you know they don't want to like be like too raw wrong bringing in Jay Wright. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of names available and. You know, they're going about it the way kind of like the national media is going about it, where, you know, who's the right coach for this team as opposed to who's going to be the best coach for the fans. For the fans, it's Jay Wright because everyone knows who Jay Wright is. But is he the right coach for the Sixers? I'm not fully convinced of that. No, neither am I. And when we get into uh, breaking down our coaches, you know, I'll, I'll tell you. But, you know, so Woj brings up Jay Wright. He talked about Ty Lue. Ty Lue was just the first name leaked out. Sure, as Charles Barkley said, it's a good job. You got two All-Stars, 26 to 24. Who wouldn't want to come into that that is a senior seasoned veteran coach with a background of winning? A rookie coach cannot step into this mess that the Sixers have right now in the front office and the coaching staff and the analytic department. That's not ideal to bring in a guy like Jay Wright. Yeah, I know the talk. I know the talk. Yeah, he, he's accomplished everything he wanted in Villanova. He's won national titles. He's done everything you could possibly do in college. Well, so has Mike Krzyzewski. I don't see anybody talking about trying to court Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, you want to talk about a college coach. Let's talk about a college coach in Krzyzewski who was the head coach of the Olympic team, who coached all these high-powered, high-priced superstars. He wasn't the assistant holding the clipboard or running drills. He coached those guys. Let's bring in someone who has the experience of coaching these guys. Jay Wright, as an assistant on the Olympic team, I want to keep it 100 with you. He didn't really coach those guys. They had multiple assistants on that squad. He really didn't coach those guys, as you as you think. Jay Wright has no plans in leaving Villanova. He is well taken care of Villanova. He is Mr. Villanova. Let Jay Wright be where Jay Wright is at. Until we hear if Jay Wright is interested. Just let it be. This, this pushing for Jay Wright doesn't make any sense with the mess we have. You bring in Jay Wright into the mess we have in Philadelphia, 
He failed. Villanova hires a coach who's succeeding that's under contract. Now you just uprooted Jay Wright out of where he's at. Jay Wright is comfy. What you drinking on over there, Nat? I'm drinking some hot tea. Hot tea? Are you coming down with something, brother? You okay? Late night recordings. That's what I have a case of. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I got my usual. I got my crown on ice. I got a little ice water next to it. So, but, um, that, that's how I feel about the Jay Wright situation. You agree, Nat? Yeah. I, I here, Look, I love Jay Wright, but I think if if he's the front runner for the Sixers, it's all just going to come, come down to whether or not he has the desire to coach the NBA, which I really don't think he does have the desire to coach in the NBA. Like, why would he leave on over? The gig is too perfect there. He's a beloved figure there. And if he comes to Philadelphia and if things don't get right, under his coaching, well, it's going to be the same old, same old with the Sixers. And, and you, Nat. Jay Wright's going to be caught in a situation where now he's going to say, why did I leave Villanova to begin with? This sucks. Nat, let me ask you a question. Do you think that um, Jay Wright could get a Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to listen to him coming in from the college rank? I don't think he could. I think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are too seasoned for Jay Wright. And I think Jay Wright, if he enters the NBA, you know, green like that, and if he tries to guide Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I don't think I don't think he has the capability to guide them. If he enters the if he earns the head coaching position of the Sixers, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he can guide them. I just don't think he can. I actually agree with you, man. I really do. I think the, the – especially, let's be real. Jay Wright is close with Brett Brown. He's close with the Sixers organization. It's a buddy-buddy system they got over there. So, And that's why Ellen Brand said he wants some more basketball minds in there because a lot of people over there running around in Camden aren't really basketball-minded more than business-minded. And he needs that around himself to be successful and to make this team successful. And Jay Wright being so close, knowing that stuff, I don't, why would he even want to? Why do you want to even put his foot on that on that side of the court? It, it makes zero sense. So, you know, hopefully, as the weeks go on and we hear more names that we have here, um, the Jay Wright name will start to calm down a little bit. We shall see. We shall see. But um, Nat, play that uh, Tim Legler cut. And the uh, we're gonna do the Tim Lakeman cut, and then we're gonna get into this uh, list we have because we got a lot of names here to cover. Matt, play those cuts to me real quick. The accountability to players. I've been talking about that for several years. I probably follow this team more closely than any other. It's right in my backyard. And I'm, you know, constantly I feel like debating the merits of these players. I think for Joel Embiid, the biggest thing is when you have a star player and you run your offense through that player and he has never really pushed himself from a conditioning standpoint to have the kind of stamina where he can stay on the court for more than five or six minutes straight without needing a rest. That's very difficult on a head coach. It's also difficult when your other star player, Ben Simmons, who's got a great motor uh, and is an elite defensive player and a great playmaker, is a guy that's obviously limited with his scoring ability. So to try to run an offense 
that's predicated on getting a guy shots within six feet of the rim, that's a very difficult thing to do when he's a perimeter player. So there are limitations that Brett Brown has on these players. I think the reason they made the change was because they feel like Brett Brown hasn't made them accountable enough, hasn't demanded enough. And I'm not saying it's easy because the player has to want it. But I just think they are looking at this experiment now over a period of time, particularly the last three years, and they're saying, okay, maybe it'll never happen, but it's clear that it's not going to happen with Brett Brown getting the most out of those individual players. And then if you can't get it, make the adjustments you have to to hide their weaknesses. I think that's where they're at with this team, and that's where the evaluation you know, fell at his feet. And now they're going to see if a different voice can demand those things from these players. But Bruce is 100% right. They have to want it. There's some immaturity there amongst their best players in terms of leaders. There's no question about it. And that's why Jimmy Butler, I think, wanted to go to Miami, to be honest with you. I think he saw what was next to him and realized that, you know what, you're not going to break through here. I'm going to go to Miami and with an organization and with guys around me that understand the little things that you have to do and the attention to detail to win. Yo, man, Tim Legler is dead right. He's dead right. You got to hold these guys accountable. That's what the ultimate thing was with Brett Brown. He didn't hold these guys accountable for their actions. And when you don't get, as Nat said, if you don't get held accountable, these are the things that happen. So if Legler's saying it, if Barkley's saying it, if I don't even want to say his name on, on that morning show, if he's saying it, then obviously. Yeah, you got to bring in the right coach for this team. Don't bring in a coach the fans love. Don't bring in a coach that you think is going to follow your system. Bring in a coach that is right for this team. And that, and that's a good question, man. Who – who and I get asked this. Who is the right coach? I don't know. I have a couple I like. And who are some you like? Uh, some of the guys I like. We're the same guys that I talked about on the show. You know, I, I think, me personally, it's my opinion. I don't kill y'all for the Jay Wright opinion, so don't try to come out here and kill me or, or my opinion. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean, that They don't try to come after me or my opinion. But I just ask them why they don't like coaches that are being thrown out there and they get mad. My opinion. Coach, I think the coach of Sixers, I got – Two, an apostle. First one, Jason Kidd. Okay? Nat, pull up Jason Kidd's resume. And I'm going to tell you a little bit by Jason Kidd why Nat's pulling that up. Jason Kidd was a, a point guard in the NBA who couldn't shoot himself out of a wet paper bag in the beginning of the season. When he first started in the NBA, he would not shoot. He was a pass-first guard. He was a hell of a guard. And he impacted the game in many ways that Ben Simmons is impacting the game. The end of Jason Kidd's all-star NBA championship career, you had to respect him from the three-point line. You had to respect him for 18 feet out because he pulled the jumper. You had to respect him because not only would he go past you, he might stop and pop in the middle of the lane and not do a 360 look for a pass out. Jason Kidd's been through what Ben Simmons is going through. Ben Simmons says he's going to uh, talk to a sports psychiatrist, sports therapy. I hope he's doing that right now. 
I mean, I saw him doing an interview on GMA promoting his new thing with the uh, gaming. But I also hope he's starting to take everything serious now and starts talking to the sports therapy about his jumpers. J.K. will get Ben Simmons to shoot the J. Jason Kidd will hold him accountable. Jason Kidd played with big men like Joel Embiid. And I'm not saying they're just like Joel Embiid, all right? There is no Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is a very special talent. He is a talented, talented, talented force in the NBA. Pound for pound, he's probably the best player in the NBA. And we've seen it on the All-Star break, the the All-Star game. Those dudes could not check Joel in the paint when Nick Nurse was putting him down there. One after another tried to check him down, and they couldn't stop him. What do you got on Jason Kidd, Nat? Coaching career. Coach for the team he played for. They were – when he played for them, he was – they were they were the New Jersey Nets, but now they're the Brooklyn Nets uh, when he coached for them. Then he goes to Milwaukee, and now he's uh, an assistant with L.A. And when he was in Milwaukee, there's no Giannis, Greek freak, Antetokounmpo, unless there's a Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd laid the foundation down for Giannis to be what he is. Giannis took it, developed it, and wanted more and reached out more. And that's why Giannis is turning into the player he is. But it took someone to get him there. Not only just the will of wanting it that he had, he had to have people believe in him that he could do it. Jason Kidd also said that Ben Simmons could be the best player in the NBA. If he learns how to shoot, if he just takes the shot, Ben Simmons is holding this team back by not shooting. He could open up the floor and the spacing with Al Horford and Joel Embiid if you just shoot the ball. I love Ben Simmons. I think he's a special talent, but my man, you gotta shoot the rock. You have to. There's no more this uh, feel comfortable wanting to shoot a percentage. You got to start pulling because now you're being selfish to your teammates by not doing it. And I'm never, I was never the one that was hung up on the shot. But now the person who hindered you from doing it is gone. So now you're kind of forced in a situation where you got to shoot. So. That's my that's my pick, J Kid. My other pick and all the other coaches we're gonna talk about on the other side. This is Big T Will. Yo, man, we having some fun right here on Philly Court Full Court Press. That's my extraordinaire producer, Nat Marlowe, drinking a nice cup of tea. And we'll be back after this quick break. What's up, everybody? It's Carmelo Anthony. Hope everyone is staying healthy. During this time, you know, we should all be looking out for one another and staying calm and staying safe. I'm just trying to stay positive as much as possible. So you spend this great time with your loved ones. I think it gives us a lot of perspective. Call some of your friends or your family and let them know how much you, you love them and how much you care about them. Practice compassion. We have to be kind and really practice a sense of community. We're going to get through this thing one way or another. And the appreciation level for everything will be at an all-time high. We all miss fans and our teammates and basketball. 
This is only a virus that we can beat together. Uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you guys soon and back on the floor. Say see ya. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health. There are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. We're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. Yeah, man, equality. We need it. We're going to continue to love this country if it doesn't love us back. But we're going to make sure you understand where we're coming from. Thanks for uh, playing that piece again, Nat. I appreciate that off the break. Um, so let's jump into this list. There's a lot of names on this list. Charles Barkley said earlier he had a name for us and it was Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks, as Nat is pulling that up, Mo Cheeks has already been here once with the Sixers. He was assistant, left, came back as a head coach, left, bounced around as head coach in Portland, if, I, if I'm correct, stand corrected. Went down as the assistant down OKC, and now he's back at OKC as the assistant with Billy Donovan. Mo Cheeks is interesting. I didn't really think of Mo Cheeks until Barkley said it. It's a good name. I think Mo would not be the guy with these guys. And with the closest he has with the organization, I mean, it, I don't think it would, it would suit Mo. I mean, but it's a name. So people kill names. We kill names because it's not the name we want. But I'm not going to kill the name. So, but was I right, Nat, on the, his coaching carousel? Yeah, started uh, in, in terms of coaching career, started as an assistant with the Sixers uh, from the mid-90s, early 2001. Then went on to coach Portland, came to the Sixers as, uh, as a head coach in the mid-2000s, then to assistant with the Thunder, then head coach of the Pistons, back as an assistant to the Thunder. All right. I remember seeing Mo at the uh, airport, and I was, and uh, then I remember and I talked to him, and I remember I was seeing him in the stands during the process years. I guess before he uh, 
got picked back up as the assistant. And I asked Brett Brown, you know, why don't you bring in someone like Mo Chiefs on your staff who's been in the stands? And Brett Brown didn't even know Mo was in the stands, obviously. And, you know, Brett gave me a good answer. But, you know, Brett was hard-headed. He did what Brett wanted to do. And look where it ended up. So that's the name Barkley gave out. Top name that first leaked out was Ty Lu. Okay? Ty Lu, he took over for uh, for uh, that guy, David. What was his last name, Nat, for him in, in uh, Cleveland? That was and, David Blatt. Yes, David Blatt. Thank you. David Blatt was 30 and 11. In the Eastern Conference, Cavaliers got him up out of there. To this day, I still don't understand why, LeBron James. But David Griffin was the executive that the coaches answered to. He was the GM. And LeBron James didn't want David Black there and didn't like his coaching style. So in steps Ty Lue, who then proceeded to go 27-14. and 14. That's that's pretty good. That's really good. LeBron James is a hard talent to coach. Oh, man. Ty Lue didn't coach that team. LeBron James coached that team. You think so? You think so. Ty Lue held all them players accountable and coached those guys hard. That's why they complained about Ty Lue. That, and I doubt LeBron is getting any team ready from a strategic standpoint. Correct. Like, that's the ultimate job of a head coach. You have to have your team ready from a strategic standpoint. And at least in terms of coaching, Ty Lue did that with the Cavaliers. Ty Lue was the coach when the Cavaliers were on the brink of losing and had that team mentally prepared to come back and win the NBA, their first NBA title. No one ever did that. Down 3-1. Yep. No one ever did that. Ty Lue did that. LeBron James did that. Nope. The right coach for the right team. Right coach for the right players. LeBron James couldn't coach and play. Okay, he had enough issues going on with him and Kyrie. So you have Kyrie in that mix. J.R. Smith in that mix. LeBron James, Mr. NBA, and Kevin Love. And y'all going to tell me LeBron was the only one that coached that team and had that team prepared? I don't know, Nat. That sounds like a lot of Kool-Aid to me. What you think? <laughs> I think the same. I think the same thing. I, I, I say the same about people who talk about Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers. Like, it, Look, you, it wasn't just Gretzky. It certainly helped that Gretzky had a team full of enforcers that you know, nobody wanted to take him on. Nobody wanted to defend Gretzky because they knew if they did, then they would have to answer to like Dave Semenko, Marty McSorley, and the rest of the Edmonton Oilers. Right. And it's the same way with NBA. You're not going to go up against LeBron on LeBron's team. You're not going to do that. But because LeBron's going to keep you sharp and ready to play. But LeBron's not going to be implementing any game plans. He might have a lot of ideas and say, but he's not implementing any game plans and and all the strategies. 
So for what Ty Lue did with that team for that short span of being pushed into it and winning the title and going back to the finals was pretty remarkable. So Keith Pompey, everyone check him out at at Pompey Sixes. I tell you guys, he gives us fire all the time. All the time he's he's giving us stuff. Another guy that he uh, tweeted out that the Sixers had interest in was Mike Brown. Hey, Nat, you remember when I mentioned Mike Brown? And mm-hmm. and, and remember when the record stopped? <laughs> the, <laughs> the record stopped. I'm telling you, there's interest in Mike Brown. You know, as Nat's over there doing what he does, Mike Brown, I believe uh, his coaching career, he was um, – I think he was with the Spurs. And prior to being with the Spurs, going off the top of my head here, prior to being with the Spurs, um, he came to Cleveland. And he had a, a – yeah, he carved himself out a nice coaching career with uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he coached younger LeBron. So there's another guy who had a LeBron James to uh, deal with. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Mike Brown took over for Byron Scott. I'm a little cloudy, but my my extraordinary producer over there is going to fill us in. I think he took over for Byron Scott, Mike Brown. Mike Brown, not not only did he win – uh, rings with San Antonio and Pop. He won rings with Golden State. Mike Brown is a guy who coaches hard, and he's a defensive-minded coach as well as an offensive-minded coach. His offense is is uh, pretty stellar. So people hear Mike Brown's and they say, "No, I don't want Mike Brown. Get all the brand away from Mike." First of all, you don't even know Mike Brown. I ask you where he coached from, you can't even tell me. So. You know, before you start screaming out no and what you want, do your homework. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind Mike Brown. My only concern is that uh, most of his, if we're talking about championships, his success does only come as an assistant coach. Now, he did win head coach of the year in 2009 with the Cavaliers. And I was with uh, younger LeBron then. I would I would prefer Ty Lue over Mike Brown. But I would not hate Mike Brown as a head coach. No. If Mike Brown was here just to fix Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons and then and then Wright steps in, would you be okay with that? I would prefer a little bit more consistency. If you go with Mike Brown as opposed to Jay Wright, then I think just keep Mike Brown unless he completely craps the bed. Um, the reason why I think Ty Lue would do a better job is because Ty Lue had older LeBron. Mm-hmm. And so I think Ty Lue, because he does have that respect with older players, because he's able to galvanize older players and strategically plan well with older players, then I think he could be a good guide for Joel Embiid and no, Ben no. Simmons. Now, they're still on the younger side of their careers, so maybe Mike Brown would be the better choice in that, but I I generally prefer Ty Lue. Ty Lue's so, – I'm sorry, Nat, but uh, Ty Lue's also co- coaching uh, playoff Paul 
and uh, Kawhi right now too, right? Yeah. No, I don't think I don't. Yeah. Let, let me double check. Is he, yeah, Tyloo's yeah, Ty the assistant coach. Never mind. You're right. Yeah, he is the assistant. Never mind. Yeah, he's the assistant coach. So he's coaching playoff Paul. You know, for those you don't know, that's Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard, and a lot of a lot of his first strong people on that Clippers team, Reggie Jackson, the Morris twin. By the way, that was dirty. And I think he should be fined for that, for what he did. Montrage Harold, Ty Lue's all in that mix with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers isn't a young coach anymore, but he's a well-respected coach, and he's got a good, strong uh, sidekick, and that's Ty Lue. So that's a good argument you bring up. Also, speaking of Doc Rivers, uh, he's one of my favorite memes. <laughs> like, the stare into the face. I love that. And with the gray suit on, like, what? Are you kidding me? Hey, it's funny though because when I see some of the responses on Twitter and and, and uh, Facebook and Instagram and stuff or social media outlets, I kind of make that same face. So when you want to know if you say something stupid and I respond, that sometimes that's the response I'm giving you without the me. <laughs> but uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. But yeah, I I agree with you on that on that argument. Now, let's get to my other name. I've been wanting to get to this guy, okay? My other name. I'm not killing y'all for Jay Wright, so don't kill me for my name. My other name is Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, I feel outside of Jason Kidd, would be the perfect complimentary coach to Embiid and Simmons. Alan Brand already said... He's not breaking up and beating Simmons. He wants to uh, surround them with talent that that coexists with their talent. And if you're going to do that and have that much coexisting going on, you're going to need someone to, with experience of being around that kind of talent. Mark Jackson. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Well, Mark Jackson got fired in Angle once they won a championship. Steve Kerr will tell you, I won that championship off of Mark Jackson's players. Same way with Tampa Bay with Tony Dungy and Chucky. So let me ask you something. If do you think history could repeat itself? Like they bring in Mark Jackson. Like you kind of go through like not not a process 2.0, but almost like a process like 1.5 where they're like they're just right there and they just can't get over the hump. And then you replace you eventually replace Jackson with a different voice to get them to that hurdle. Or you think Jackson could take them to a title? I think Jackson with the right pieces where Ellen Brand brings in on this uh, short and all season. I think Mark Jackson could could uh, shock the world with the two players with Embiid and Simmons. I mean, Mark Jackson's still fairly young, and he took Golden State, who which was dying, and they had their own little process, but they drafted well. And that's the one thing. That's the par- That's another parallel. The Sixers' drafts have not been that well during the process. 
they missed on a lot of players and packaged a lot of deals that didn't make a lot of sense. And this is where we're at now. So Golden State drafted well, and under the tutelage of Mark Jackson, he created this this storm because he saw what he had. He changed his style of coaching to the style of his team. You see where I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Mark Jackson adjusted and let Curry and Clay be Curry and Clay. And Draymond, Draymond was a walking triple double in the beginning. Draymond could hoop. He still can hoop. People forget Draymond took that step back twice when Clay started emerging and when KD went to Golden State. So yeah, I'd I'd love to see what Mark Jackson could do because his adjustment style and his rotation style and just staying active in the league, watching all the the tendencies of teams. I mean, that has to say for something. He's been watching every he's been doing every primetime game, watching all these players, watching the organizations. So he's still in the mix. Do you think he could fall into one of the problems Brett Brown had, though, because of that? Do you think, as a coach, he could get to get caught up in watching the game nope. as opposed to coaching it? Nope. There's only – out of the NBA coaches that I saw the past couple seasons, and, the, and I'm talking about playoff teams because the last three years, Sixers were in the playoffs, so we'll talk about the playoff teams. There's only been maybe one other coach outside of Brett Brown in the NBA playoffs that got caught watching and poor rotations. Maybe one. That's it. What Brett Brown what Brett Brown did was something that a lot of rookie coaches do. A lot of coaches with teams that have no chance of winning do, letting their guys play and figure it out. You don't do that with the type of team you had. I don't see Mark Jackson doing that. All right. Someone threw this name out. Jerry Stackhouse. Mm, not at this particular time. I 100% agree with you on that. Like, he's – I mean, head coach Vanderbilt, that Vanderbilt record's not great. Mm-hmm. Stack Stack is uh, an interesting name, but not at this particular time. I he's I I think it's a classic case of great player doesn't translate to a great coach. Yeah, yeah, and Stack was here. Stack had a long career in the NBA. Stack had a long career in the NBA, and you know he had some Philly roots. We drafted Stack. I thought Stack and AI was going to be the truth. And then quickly realized <laughs> AI was a hard talent to play next to. David, I love watching him ball though. Um, I don't think Stack is ready for this type of situation. I think Stack has to be kind of like Brad Stevens. Like Brad Stevens came into Boston with a young core and he grew with them. He didn't come into a team. And when I say young core, I mean 
young NBA core, not young player core. Because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are young, 26, 24, but they're already all-stars. They've already uh, cemented their, their names in the NBA as dominant players. So right then and there, I, I don't, you know, Stack would have to come in with a squad like Brad Stevens did with Boston to grow with, and then you see him flourish. Or the same way uh, Billy Donovan did. Billy Donovan's an exception, though, because Billy Donovan still had uh, KD for a year, Russ, and a young nucleus with that. And then when they made the trades and got and, and KD left, they got even younger, but they got quality young players with Russ. And then they got Paul Pierce. I'm listening to Paul Pierce. They got Paul George. So Paul George and Russ with these young players, that team grew. Billy Donovan kept growing. Now Russ is going. They bring in CP3. People thought OKC was going to move CP3 or CP3 didn't want to stay. Look at the leadership CP3 gave OKC with that young core and that coach with Mo Cheek sitting next to him. So that's the kind of situation that would Stackhouse would have to come into. And a Jay Wright. That's the type of situation you want Jay Wright. If you love Jay Wright, you want to see him succeed. That's the type of situation you want to see them come into. You don't want to see them come into the Philadelphia 76ers and the, and the mess they have right here. Why would you even set your guy up for failure? I wouldn't do that. So, but that's a good name, a good name. But he's—I personally, I don't think that's the guy. Not NBA ready. No, no. definitely not. We agree on that. Nat, if, if ever, I'm not fully convinced he'll ever be. But you know, it, it, it's early. It's early with him. Yeah, yeah. Stack may one day be NBA coach of the year. We don't know. But right now, it's way early, and I don't think Stack would be the guy. But I mean, it's an interesting name. Nat, I'm going to give you a name. And you know this name. He's the assistant coach for the Sixers right now, as we speak. M.A. Udoka. Insert Bernie for Brumall. All right. <laughs> well, what do you think about that? I don't hate it. Look, I think Udoka's I think got that... he's got a lot of he's got a lot of backing. Just coming off of Pop's tree. Again, another pop guy. You're right. You're right. But I think if you want the Sixers to have the utmost success in the shortest amount of time possible, I think you keep Udoka as an assistant and bring in a, a completely new voice as your head coach. I like that. Look at here's it. Here's let me take a use this example. Now the Philadelphia Flyers they had Lappy as an assistant coach. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dean Lapierre. I hated Ian LaPierre as an assistant coach because I thought he was kind of a product of Dave Hackstall on that group. They fired every one of that coaching staff except Ian LaPierre. I was like, why the hell did you not fire Lappy? I thought he was the most incompetent out of all of them, more incompetent than Dave Hackstall. Well, clearly I was proven wrong because, you know, Lappy as an assistant with Three other great coaches, you know, obviously under head coach Elaine Vigneault and two other assistant coaches, Mike Yo and Michelle Tarian, 
that group of coaches might be the best coaching staff in the NHL right now. So you're saying so, anything's possible. Yeah. So I think if you throw in a situation like that with the Sixers, you get in a great head coach and keep Udoka as an assistant, then I think you can set this team up for success. I'm not fully convinced you do that if you promote Udoka to head coach. Do you think uh, Brett Brown used Udoka? Do you think Udoka had a voice? Hardly. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, I barely hear his name. Never talked about. Yeah, I, I, I think. But see, on the flip side, I'm playing devil's advocate because Brett Brown has a few assistants right now coaching and coaching well in the NBA, and one even a head coach at a, uh, you know, predominant college out on the main line. So, I mean, is Brett Brown's coaching tree better than Brett Brown? <laughs> it could. It could. And that's why it, you don't know what the potential is. I, I, I don't think you should take the risk with Udoka promoting him. But definitely keep him around. Get a coach who's going to want Udoka's input. Get a coach who's going to want to like let Udoka strategize with him, not for him. And don't don't box him out. Don't don't let him not have a say at all. You know, get Udoka to contribute. Yeah, I uh, I actually I didn't look at it that way, Nat. And then when you when you started breaking that down, I um I could get on board with that. Keeping uh, Udoka on the staff. Seeing his, his his voice is as good as it was in San Antonio because Udoka and the other guy they brought over from San Antonio, these were supposed to be the two guys that developed Kawhi Leonard and turned him into what he was. If they weren't supposed to do that with Kawhi, why didn't they do it with Ben? Maybe they did because Ben's defense stood out to me this year more than anything. So that had to be something from Udoka and the staff. And plus, Ben even said he had the will and the want to be defensive player of the year. We saw who got it, but I think Ben was well deserving of of it also. So, but yeah, that's a good that's a good one, Nat. I'm gonna throw this out real quick, Nat. Stan and Jeff Van Gundy, any interest? Um, my heart is saying yes. I don't know what my brain's telling me. <laughs> you hear Van Gundy, it's almost like synonymous with basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think real quick, real quick, break break these two down for me. Go ahead. All right. So Jeff Van Gundy, career as a coach, like assistant at Rutgers, assistant with the Knicks, then became head coach of the Knicks, head coach of the Rockets, out Team USA. So that's Jeff. And taking a look at Stan Van Gundy. Let me get his resume up here. As a head coach of the NBA, started off with Miami, then proceeded to the Magic, then proceeded to the Pistons. A college career went from from Vermont over to Fordham, UMass Lowell, and finished uh, coaching college in the mid-90s at Wisconsin. So this is a guy who says, you know, he's been around. They've both been around. I agree with you. They they have clout. They've been around. They, they Stan Van Gundy, the way he was calling the uh, Sixers games, it seemed like he was lobbying for the job, right? Look, I, I like Stan Van Gundy a lot. But he he knows the game, but can he get over the hump? Do you I don't think he can do it with the Sixers, with this Sixers roster. I just don't think he can. Do you think he's too hard of a coach? 
no. or a Ben or a Joe? That's not no. Nah, I'm not. I, I I never really thought of it like that. I don't think he would be too hard of a coach, but I don't. I'm not fully convinced that he can get the best out of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I don't think it's because he would be too hard of a coach, but I think he might fall into the trap of analytics versus, you know, just straight hard-ass coaching. Right, right. In the sense that he's just going to be 100% in one way or the other. And that that is my main concern. So you're saying he won't go in the toolbox and he'd leave that tool in in the box and never use it? Yeah, he would just take one out at a time as opposed to using, you know, multiple ones for different scenarios. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be my main concern. Now, taking a look at Jeff Van Gundy, you know, he hasn't coached the NBA in 13 years. That's a little bit of a concern. But he has coached Team USA in mm-hmm. recent years. Yes. So it's not too much of a knock. Yes. It's not, it's not, it's not too much of a concern. The guy can coach. Yeah. He was NBA head coach of the year 2000. Keep in mind that was 20 years ago, but that is something that he has on his resume. Correct. And resume speaks. Resume speaks. So, so you're not, you wouldn't, Van Gundy's wouldn't be at the top of your list, but, but if either one of them were hired, you would be okay with it. I would be okay. Um, with concern. I think, Definitely some concerns because I'm just not fully convinced you get the most amount of success uh, that you have with with the potential of this Sixers team that you could with some of the other names that we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, pairing Stan Van Gundy with Udoka and uh, what's his name, Young. Would you do that? I uh, I I would do it. I would do it how much they would let Udoka contribute to the strategy of the game, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That is a main concern for me. Now, if we bring someone like Ty Lue in here, that could be another problem. That could be another cause of concern. How so? With Ty Lue, he's won a championship. Mm. So, two concerns I have bringing in a coach who's won a championship, like Ty Lue. Because being down 3-1, he was the first one to do it. No one else has ever done it in the finals. Fair point. Fair point. So, would he let Udoka contribute to strategy? Same. It's like, well, what what do you know? Like, I've done the impossible. You let me strategize. I freaking got this. And another thing, my another concern is, how much drive would Ty Lue have to win a championship with the Sixers? Because... He's won his he won his title. He already did the impossible. His name's already in the history books. How much drive would Ty Lue have? I think Ty Lue would have a lot of drive, to be honest with you. I might actually disagree just slightly with you too. The fact that uh I think Ty Ty Lue would let uh Yudoka's uh voice be heard. Um the same way Doc lets Ty Lue's voice heard in LA. So, I and prior to that, when he was just getting into coaching with Doc in Boston, so I, I think 
Ty would, would learn from that a little bit. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm thinking this correctly, who was Ty Lue's assistant when he won um, with uh, the Cavaliers? I want to say it was Mike Brown. I'm not sure, but Nat's going to uh, fit, you know, he's going to do what he does. And uh, I, but I think Udoka will have a voice with Ty Lue. Um, I think he'd have a. Big... Was that? Go ahead. Was that? You said that was the year the Cavs won? Yeah. Nah, he was with Mike Brown was with Golden State that year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was with Steve Kerr. Who was uh, Ty Lue's assistant? Let me but, fact check this. Yeah, fact check us. See, we even we're doing a better fact check on Philly Full Court Press than the DNC and the RNC going on right now. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Tell me about it, man. Woo-wee! Oh my goodness. But um yeah, but I, I think those uh Yudoka's voice would be heard under Van Gundy's also. Listen, as you're pulling that up. There's been a name floating around there, and I am warming up to it a lot. And he would be a, a rookie head coach. But there's a reason why I'm warming up to it, and it makes a lot of sense. And as you're pulling that up for me, I want to throw the name at you real fast because you can, you know, do 20 things at once. Sam Cassell. I've heard that name thrown around a lot. A lot. Sam Cassell. I'm going to let it sit there and let it nestle in on everybody real fast. Sam Cassell is another guy I think that would be a perfect fit for the Sixers organization. No head coach experience, but had a long winning career at point guard. And and everything else with uh, the NBA. Also, before you go on, I have those Cavaliers assistant coaches ready for you. Oh, yeah, cool. Throw them at me. Jim Boylan, Brett Brewmeyer, Larry Drew, Phil Handy, James Posey, and Mike Longabardi. Larry Drew. Larry Drew's coaching. Uh, is he still coaching? No, he got fired from Detroit. Dwayne Casey went down there. But... Okay, Larry Drew was on that staff. He's an assistant for the Lakers. Who, Larry Drew? Yeah. And then so, last Larry. year, he was an assistant for the Raptors. So he was the assistant to Nick Nurse? Yeah. Hmm. Larry Drew. What you think about that one? As head coach of the Sixers? Yeah. Mm, mm. As, as, as an assistant, pretty damn good resume. I mean, think about this. All right. 15-16. Helps Ty, Ty Lue win it with LeBron. Then helps Nick Nurse and Kawhi win it with Toronto. Now, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James out in L.A., mm. dude has a pretty good track record as an assistant. But I'm worried he might be too good of an assistant. If he gets that promotion, could completely crap the bet. Sometimes you just can't give people power. Kind of like Brett Brown. Brett yes. Brown was probably a hell of an assistant and developer, but just couldn't put it together as a head coach. Right. And Larry Drew has already been a head coach, wasn't that great, but has flourished as an assistant. 
it, that is that's very applicable to my life. I am that type of <laughs> I'm that type of leader. I am. Let me tell you, if you were to throw me like a, a general manager position, I could not do it. Do not. I am not capable of being a general manager. I'm a great assistant manager. Give me a certain department. Give me a lower level management position that I know I can handle. I cannot run the whole shebang. You need that. You need that driving force. You need that no. driving force. Look, I'm self-aware. I'm self-aware of my capabilities. Yeah, uh, too funny, too funny. But yeah, I mean, that's just another name that might trickle out. You just don't know. So Frank Vogel out in LA has Jason Kidd and Larry Drew, both won championships. Both are pretty good resumes as coaches. And they're coaching the greatest player right now, LeBron James. Just something to think about when you're trying to figure out the direction you want the 76ers to go into. Something to think about. Nat, what else you got on your list? I think my list is almost done. Well, there's uh, one name on here we haven't mentioned. That's Chris Mack. Actually, there's two names on here. One, let's start with Chris Mack. Chris Mack, uh, I believe he's the coach at Louisville. Right? I think, uh, yeah, Chris Mack's a Louisville head coach. He stepped in and cleaned up the mess after um, Patino. Patino's been on the shelf a while. I think Patino is a name, just a name. He, hey, he's been in the NBA more than once. He's been back and forth in the college. So if he wanted to get back in, it's just a name. But uh, I think Mac is the coach at Louisville, right, Nat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would actually leave Mac at Louisville because then I'm going against what I'm what I'm trying to say is you don't want to bring a rookie head coach into this situation, and the only rookie head coach I would probably bring to the situation is probably Sam Cassell. Yeah, it sounds too much like a Dave Hacksaw type situation where you bring in someone who's a, a really decent college coach and then you make that transition to the big leagues and it just doesn't translate well into at the all. majors at all. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that would be too much of a risk. I think you're dead on with that. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of alarms and, and fireworks going off around that when I see that name and see the situation. But, I mean, he, he could grow. He could eventually be an NBA coach. Oh, he's a good, solid coach. I'm not knocking his resume for what he's doing down in uh, Louisville. Yeah, it looks great on paper. Give it on that. <laughs> Give that. <laughs> yeah, it looks good on paper. Sixers look good on paper back Brett in Brown, August. Hey, Brett Brown exceeded his expectations from an analytical standpoint. Uh, Brett Brown might as well be the paper champ then because he, he didn't win nothing off the paper, I'll tell you that. But everything on paper looked good. Him and uh, Coconut Oil Boy, Gabe Kapler, the kings of analytics. Oh, man. He's getting ripped in San Fran with that, too. That just goes to show you, man, analytics, it has a place, but it's not the place. It has a place, but it's not the place. Right. You can't make that your entire strategy. I mean, look, we sometimes we have coaches, like, literally inventing stats, it's like, what are you doing? Sometimes it works. Like in John Tortorella's case, I forget what stat he invented, 
But he invented his own stat, which involved like players' ice time based on like entries into certain zones of the ice, which was crazy, and it worked for that. But he didn't make it the entire strategy. He made it a part of his system, not the system. Right. You got to lean on what you have and your eyeballs. Your eyeballs are your analytics. If you're coaching and you're seeing what's going on and you're watching the, the ins and outs, you don't need the analytics to run your operation because you know your operation. I was watching a clip with Brett Brown, an uh, inside uh, clip, going into the 2017-18 season. And I'm going to tell you this. I might even uh, have full court press post that uh, clip also. Um, oh, yeah, don't forget to follow them at uh, P-H-U-L-L-C-O-U-R-T-76. Powered out, powered by Last Out Media. Shout out to them. Uh, post that that uh, video up there. Brett Brown was coaching his team hard. It was a totally different coach. So is he a good practice coach as well? On certain situations, and can't translate it to the game. Was that his uh, his roadblock? Just a lot of a lot of weird things happened after. That 16-0 run, going into the playoffs, getting beat in Boston four games of one, just a lot of weird things. And it, it, it don't make any sense that the things happen. No, it does. See, I'm about to – no, it does make sense because if you would have held accountable, it goes back to the accountability. You would have held your players accountable and treated them like players and not your uh, birth sons, then we wouldn't be sitting here talking about who the next coach is for the Sixers and what Embiid and Simmons have to do. But I agree, they definitely have to grow up. And you got one more name, right? Yeah, that is uh, Morrison. Say that again. Scott Morrison? Yeah. Uh, Again, another good coach, but not the right coach for this situation. No, it it would be like he would be like it, it's like Al Horford coaching the team. That's the way I see it. You bring in the enemy, the what the enemy's supposed to like boost you up. Like no, that, to me it doesn't make sense. I don't think least impressive resume. I don't think he would do anything with this team. I think he would be the worst hire out of all the names we mentioned. I agree, actually, and and, and I think it's a step it's a step back because. Um, then, if you're going to do that, you might as well give the keys to Udoka and let him uh, try. Exactly. And then that just sets up, like, all the trade and beat and trade Simmons people. And then you get rid of those guys, and then you're in process 2.0. I don't think we want to be back in the process 2.0. No. So, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, great show today, Nat. I want to uh, end out. On on uh, a note here, before we ride out, be self-aware. Let's come together and let's do things that's right. We know right from wrong. We're all adults. And if you still haven't learned it by now, then we will never grow forward as a nation. And we need to take the steps necessary to come together. 
because right now we're being divided and we need to stand together and not be divided. And all the senseless acts have to uh, be taken care of. They got to be taken care of. So, mask up. Wash your hands. Sanitize. Protect your loved ones. Protect what's close to you. If you're out there protesting, mask up. Protest. Get the peace and love out there. Demand the justice. Breonna Taylor is still outraged why that has not ha- had a a final say yet. And now what's going on in Wisconsin? Pray for everybody, man. Pray, pray, pray for 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 Jacob and his family. My man is now paralyzed from waist down. Pray for all the people who are angry for for a little bit of peace. And they heart. Keep that keep the anger fueled and channeled in a way that's gonna make the change right. But coaches, who's gonna step up and shine in Ellen Brand's interviews? Who's gonna be the one in the next couple of weeks to emerge as the number one choice? Who's gonna come onto this roster? And compliment Joel and B and Ben Simmons. It's a lot of things to figure out. A lot of things that gotta happen. And I'm gonna squeeze this in there. There's an article I read that the Sixers lease is up 2031. They're looking to get their own building and they were looking potentially down at Penn's Landing. A lot of space down there. Y'all gonna keep my car safe down there? That's what I wanna know. <laughs> Shoot, you want to put a building down there, you want to put some extra security on. As much security you got at Wells Fargo, you better put it down there at Pennsylvania. Let's end on that, Nat. Check that article out. I'll post that up also. Got a lot of questions that, to answer, and we got a short amount of time to do it. Any final words, my man? If you're planning on watching basketball tonight, looks most things in this world are more important than sports, and this is one of them. Amen. Nothing, nothing but love and respect for what the NBA is doing right now. Like, yes, it's, it's playoff sports. It's playoff basketball. We got playoff hockey going on, too. This is bigger than sports, people. So let's just, you know, take a minute, take a step back, you know, reflect, analyze, and take in everything that's going on in the world right now. It's like, not get distracted. Let's take a moment because these players aren't getting distracted by it. And neither like, should they. Exactly. They're taking the time to honor, respect, learn, and educate themselves and to take a stand on what's going on. And I think it's the right decision. Now, whether or not you agree with it, you like respect what they're doing. Respect it, okay? That's right, man. Couldn't say it better myself. I'm your host, Big T. Will. That's my man, Nat Marlowe. This is Philly Full Court Press. We'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, Nat, let's ride out, brother.
Tamir Rice. Natasha McKenna. You promised that you wouldn't kill me. I didn't do anything. John Crawford III. Bless his soul. Police shot this boy outside my apartment. Tiger. Eric Harris. He shot me, man. You didn't do shit. Oh my God. You didn't do shit. You hear me? I'm losing my breath. Fuck your breath. Ariana Stanley Jones. India Kager. Walter Scott. Nathaniel Harris Pickett. Pamela Turner. Jordan Edwards. Eric Garner. <laughs> Jamar Clark. Oscar Grant. Freddie Gray. Philando Castile. Taylor. George Floyd. 